On episode 54 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, how do you fix dysfunctional teams? We teach technical skills to do the job. We don't spend enough time on developing our people to be leaders. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. On today's show, we're going to try a new format. We're going to have a roundtable discussion with Bob Shannon. We had him back on episode 47 of the podcast. He's CEO of Assured Performance 360, a leadership consulting firm based in Las Vegas. He's had more than 30 years experience in the fire service, and he's been setting up leadership academies in the Las Vegas area. We wanted to talk to him today about dysfunctional teams. How do you identify them and how do you fix them? And now here's our talk. You know, I wanted to kind of bring the two of you together and have an open forum discussion, I guess, around the concept that I'm struggling with. And that is, do we look at leadership differently in the for-profit versus nonprofit world, but more specifically around kind of the public sector, things that are paid for with tax dollars, like fire department, you have police, you have, you know, some, some of those services versus a for-profit world. And do leaders... Are they held to a different standard? Are they looked at differently? Are employees looked at differently? Are they developed differently? And why? And what does it look like? I believe we are. You know, I think because we are given the public's trust, we are held to a higher standard. You know, with that said, uh, we are yet a cross-section of society. You know, why do we have these problems that, that creep into public service? You know, it's never on the front page, uh, Joe the plumber that works for XYZ Corporation, not to pick on plumbers, <laughs> did this. Yeah, It's always, well, the public servant, it could be military, it could be police, fire, it could be, you know, any public servant, you know, and then we are I, held to a higher standard. And it's always been in the beginning when you come into the service, they don't do anything you don't want to see on the front page because that's exactly where it's going to end up. Well, and that's because where the revenue comes. I mean, you track the money back, taxpayers pay for fire, police. Right. And so they feel like, hey, if we're through our taxes, indirectly paying for this, you know, they, they expect a little higher accountability, I guess. Would, would you agree with that? Yes. And, and I, I think that's reasonable. I really do. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I knew that going into it. And when I was a young, young kid, I looked up to, and I still do look up to, you know, public servants. And not that I look at them any different or hold private sector any less accountable. I mean, some crimes, they're, they're just crimes. I mean, mm-hmm. there's laws of of government that we need, all need to follow. But my, you know, my thought has been, and that's really what led me into this this industry is, you know, why do we have those problems, and how do we address those problems? You know, how do we keep things from uh, reoccurring? Because you know, it has to be something you touch ongoing. And I'd like, well, your opinion. Well, how do you do that? You know, look at the United uh, situation. You know, yeah. not to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that is a a policy that they had and now they're having to deal with you know now it's out in front of the public it's been videoed and uh you know i was a little a little shocked at the video myself but why do they have policies that allow that and then at what point does your personal accountability come into play i think it is interesting because you've had a series of missteps by 
corporate entities recently, the United thing, the Uber thing. So I think there is this pushback, but you're right. Like if it's in the news, if someone in a service industry does something, I feel like uh, the public is outraged because they're going against the trust of the people. Because when I call the police or I call the fire department, I don't want to have to worry about, do I trust these people to do their job? I never do. I just think they're going to come and do the job where maybe that same level of trust isn't there with the private sector in a lot of cases. Right. Yeah. We, well, when you uh, nowadays, uh, a lot of the uh, service, you know, like plumbers, electricians, you know, having something done on your home, uh, they do an extensive background check and people are asking for that now for, for a lot of good reasons. But yeah, you're, you're right. We are, we are held to a higher standard and I think we should uh, continue that. And by and large, 95% and higher of our employees do the right thing, always doing the right thing, always reaching out to do more. They're always engaged, but it's the one incident. It's the one-off, you know, type thing. And, and how does, how does, how do you design a system? Cause we talk about people processes and deliverables. Uh, where do we uh, design that system? How do we reach out quarterly, monthly, weekly to our supervisors and employees and keep them in track with the organization's mission, vision, and value statement. Do you think it has to do with like the stress of everything? So I've brought this up on the podcast before, but I'm ex-military, ex-Navy, and Mm -hmm. we'd always have very similar situations. I was on a ship of 5,000 people, but in every port, there's some goofball that that decides to do something that's against the law, (laughs) you know, drinks too much, you know, does something he was not supposed to, and the rest of us have to pay for it. And I think a lot of that had to do with we're all pent up in the ship for a long period of time and, and you want to get out. But I could also see with like fire service and police, these are stressful situations. Uh, the hours aren't that great. Do you think the stress might cause some of these people to have these lapses in judgment? Oh, absolutely. I know in the, the fire and police industry, the calls for service are just skyrocketing in every community, not just a, a busy metropolitan city like ours, but in every community, the calls are, are skyrocketing. The variety of things that's you're asked to do uh, or to handle at times, you know, back in the day, mom and dad was handling it, <laughs> you know, well, for now they, they want an authority there and they want to record everything. I mean, imagine uh, if you went out to um, you know, fix somebody's toilet and somebody standing over your, <laughs> your shoulder, I always pick on the plumbers, <laughs> but somebody standing over your shoulder, videoing every little thing you do just in case there's a water leak. Well, you know, if there's a water leak after I'm done, we're going to take care of it, you know, but, uh, you know, it's that type of stress. Randy, I think you're onto something there. There, there is an enormous amount of stress in police fire. And if we think back to the, the, uh, last podcast with the, uh, the attorney turned uh, psychologist yeah. that does organizational psychology, I'm sure he could speak on that. And I loved his, his points because a lot of that is transferable into, uh, police and fire. But to be devil's advocate, people are people. And we all recruit and have a team. And whether you're in public service, whether you're in private, whatever it might be, you have a group, the 95% that do a good job. And do we all get stuck with the idiots? Do, do we all have our <laughs> own fair share of idiots? And we know it's just a matter of time that somebody on our team is going to do something stupid. And we have, we have to prepare. How do we deal with getting these idiots off our team and trying to raise the overall level of our team because, you know, can we be immune to not having people do stupid things inside of our organization? No. 
Okay, so <laughs> yeah. so if we right, know right. that it's part of business 101, part of being human beings, then we have to look at, okay, if, if we have more than on occasion situations happening, then is it an organizational problem? Is it a leadership problem? Is it an accountability problem? Is it a recruitment problem? What is it that puts us outside of the norm? Because I think all organizations have to come to the realization that they're going to they're going to have problems with people. People are human beings are flawed. They're going to have that. But it's the organizations that have reoccurring people problems that we really have to identify what is the cause. I, I agree 100 percent. And even, you know, adult development theory that we all know because we all <laughs> grow up as adults. But from children to adults, when we pass through these things, our judgment is different at different times in our life because mm -hmm. we, you know, the paradigm that we see things through. Mm -hmm. And I, to your point, you know, that's, in my opinion, that's why uh, police and fire, public safety, you know, not just private industry need to move from the traditional organizational model to the high performance organization model to where they're touching on all of those things. And, uh, you know, we talk about customer focus. Well, there's internal customers as well, you know, our employees. Mm -hmm. And if we know those things are going to happen and, the, the, you know, the predictability uh, borrow a, a line from a well-known police uh, speaker, national public speaker, uh, Gordon Graham. He says, if it's predictable, it's preventable. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with him. Uh, it is, it is predictable at some point, you know, things are going to happen. So let's, let's see what's causing that back to Randy's point. You know, is it, is it the additional hours? Is it the additional you know, call volume? But one thing I can tell you from my perspective and my experience is we teach technical skills to do the job. We don't spend enough time on developing our people to be leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, as we both, we all talk about personal leadership, team leadership, and organizational leadership. And then how do you connect all those dots? And in, and in fact, uh, there's a, a good uh, TED talk about connecting the dots. Uh, just recently. It's, it's kind of like a game of twister at times. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you know, when you look at uh, what we're just talking about here, when you look at the emotional intelligence of an employee, step one is self-awareness, but, but after self-awareness comes uh, self-regulation or impulse control. And when you look at people that make poor decisions on a regular basis, it ties directly to lack of impulse control, lack of thinking through the process in a traditional environment, which was very control and demand and fear driven. You did not want to do something wrong because the wrath came down on you big time, right? Mm -hmm. As we move to more of a high performance environment where there is a little more autonomy and we treat employees like partners in the business and we coach and we lead and we mentor, it's shifting some of the responsibility away from leaders and onto the actual employee to understand self-awareness and self-regulation. Because where more freedom and more responsibility is given, there's a lot more accountability at the same time. And so we yeah, got to yeah. balance that. I feel like at the lower levels in a company, people don't feel like they're a leader until they're actually put in a leadership role. And if you ask them, they're like, oh, well, I'm just the worker bee. I'm not the leader. So how do you instill that sense of leadership at the very bottom level so that their paradigm will change? And when they grow into a, a higher leadership role, they'll be ready. Well, as we know, leaders are at every level. Every level in the organization, from the receptionist to the CEO, everybody that interacts with customers or coworkers has to see themselves as a leader. 
And there's different things that culturally the organization has to do. And Bob, we were just talking about this before we started the podcast on some of the things that organizations have to do to build that culture and to do that. And and that's that's the key, I believe, misstep, or uh, if you will, because a lot of times they want to go out and find a program and do the plug and play, kind of, kind of like your computer. Yeah, and a lot of e-learning is that way. No, there's a lot of good e-learning out there, but I don't believe that that's that's one of the, the ways you develop your leaders is through e-learning. You know, it goes back to, hey, read this book and you'll be a leader. Well, it doesn't work that way. There also has to be mentorship, role modeling. You have to see your leaders, your uh, positional leaders modeling the behavior and the leading with empathy and leading with integrity, all those things that you want your employees to do. Well, they have to do it as well. And the spotlight's on them. Oh, absolutely. So, it's really important to for an organization to identify what is their core values, what's their mission, vision, and value statement. How do they want their leaders to act and behave? And define that, put it into a program format, which is what we do. And we go in and we we do an analysis. They come away and develop that program for for them. You know, we don't just leave them high and dry. We're there, you know, six, twelve, eighteen, sometimes twenty-four months to get them up and running, to get that program embedded to where it's part of their culture and they're changing the culture and they're getting that, that uh, change that they're looking for to where everyone in the organization knows that, that what that is. And, and I'll ask you this question is how, because in the private sector, you've been doing this a very long time. How many people go out and hire when they hire, do they interview the person and see them as the future manager or leader of the organization, or they just see him as the, the widget maker. Yeah. They, they hire him as a role player and that is, and they'll ask him, what do you, what do you want your future to be? And, and every good interviewee knows to say, well, I, I want to have a career. I don't want a job. I want to right. have an opportunity yeah. to grow. I see myself in a leadership role eventually if I learn. And, you know, th- there's a standard line that everybody says, mm-hmm. but the reality mm-hmm. is that, you know, we need to know personality wise, do they fit our team? Number two, do they have the skills to be able to do the job? Number three, you know, they are, is their aptitude, is their desire to learn, their desire to get better really there? And, and will they do what they say they're going to do? And that is, it's tough to figure that out in a, you know, short interview, even if it's a two or three interview process. I think also if they're going to be toxic to the workplace culture you already have in place. They may be really good at their job, but their personality and their attitude may be such that it's going to hurt your overall company if you do hire them. You have to think about that too, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I had, uh, was reviewing an article about uh, you know 13 reasons why you need to develop everyone's leadership skills. And one of the notes that I made on that is when you're in the interview process, you ask them, where do you want to be? But to be truthful, you got to self-reflect as an organization. Do I have the program to take them from the new employee to where I, where they want to be and where I want them to be, you know, more than just the technical skills. And that's kind of, you know, in my industry, that's where we, we kind of fall short. We'll teach them all the technical skills, but the emotional intelligence, self-awareness, impulse control, those type of things that we all need as, uh, as people, but also as leaders and how to lead people 
not not dictate to people. We want to lead them to that, that next chapter. Well, and there's a monetary value tied to it because employees that are engaged, one of the Gallup polls that just came out talked about that you see a 21% increase in overall production and, product and profitability if your team has a high level of trust and engagement. So how do you get trust and engagement to, to see a higher ROI financially? Well, trust and engagement starts with senior leaders being trustworthy. And I know it sounds right, so simplistic, right. <laughs> and it almost like, oh, give us a different formula. But it starts with, we trust people who are trustworthy, who have what we say, three major components. They have a high level of integrity. They're going to do what they say they're going to do. They have a high level of compassion. They can empathize and put themselves in somebody else's shoes. And they have a high level of competency. They can do the job. And when you put those three together, you have the uh, at least a foundation for trust. If you lack, yes, yeah. if you just focus on competency and you hire people for competency and you promote people based on competency, but you lack focusing and developing the other two components, compassion and integrity, which is the emotional intelligence side, right. you, you don't have a full leader. You have a competent manager at best. I agree. I, I think, it, you know, and that's, that's what we fall we fall to because back in the day, thinking back to when I first came into the workforce, it was I went to work. I knew I was going to get told what to do and how to do it and when to do it. I didn't have to think anything else. Well, that's all changed now, you know. And it, it, in that report, the Gallup poll, it's 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 clear in there. It's clear what the well, the new workforce wants and needs, uh, you know, for them and and the organizations to be successful. You know, I think. Fire service and police and in the military probably dovetail all very similar situations where, right, right. you know, you have your rank structure and everyone knows what everyone makes because they have their title, you know, and you don't want to bother the guy at the very top without, you know, trying to deal with it at your level. So these lines of communication are broken because the traditional model is very like it comes from the top and you don't think about it. You just execute on what they say. But I would think. In a situation like that, the difficulty of going from traditional to high performance would be open lines of communication from the bottom all the way to the top. I would think that's probably difficult to get away from, especially in, in fire service or some sort of a traditional structure like that. Mm -hmm. And then also people, like you said, they've been doing it the same way for a very long time. And you come in and say, you know, we need to do it differently. And they say, oh, that's all well and good. And I'll, I'll do that while you're here. But as far as like <laughs> reinforcing it yeah. over time... I don't know if I totally buy into this system yet. Do you have that, those situations? Oh, absolutely. And we do that with with a lot of different a lot of different programs. But as I was reflecting on this, even after our last podcast, when Chip asked, "Okay, how do I? How am I going to? You know, what's my next step? You know, and this is my transition in, into you know consulting. One of the things that we do is is a stepped process for everything we do. We call it awareness, operations, and then technician level and then mastery level. So we've got this stepped process. What I've developed is a stepped process, you know, with you folks, is a stepped process that takes someone, because it's our uh, culture to say awareness, you know, operations, technician, and mastery, to identify those steps. And how do I get those people all the way from awareness of leadership to the master of leadership? And I don't mean master, because we all know you know, the mastery level isn't, I've conquered this. It's the ongoing, mm -hmm. you know, I'm so aware of everything, all these other steps. Now the mastery is I'm leading others. I'm continuing my own development and the, I'm developing the organization. 
And that's where I see this evolving for us to, to include uh, the P60 assessment. You know, uh, that is a critical component. You got to know yourself first. Uh, it's critical in team development. Uh, we all know those things, but uh, you can see that in that Gallup poll, you know, uh, and I read part of it's 214 pages. So it's going to, and not a lot of pictures. So it's going to take me a while. <laughs> and if we could add a few pictures, I'd really appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, but uh, it's interesting, you know, I was talking about connecting the dots earlier and it is kind of like a game of Twister. You know, you think of the old game of Twister and everybody's got their, put your left foot on this color and your right foot on that color. Well, when you sit down and, and what I believe happens is organizations will bring in, hey, here's this book. Here's that book. Nothing wrong with it. Great stuff. But when you don't have that structured plan of how do you get people from point A to point B, then it is like a game of Twister. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think for us, and that's probably that same way in the military and, I, and probably in most organizations, uh, you want that structured approach because it gives you that space repetition. What have you learned along the way? You need to develop mentors and mentors will help you along the way. I mean, that that's my thought, Chip. Uh, Randy, what do you guys think? Well, I, I've been teaching it for 20 years and we call it our high performance development model. So, yes, when we think mm -hmm. there's five steps to it. Number one is you have to know the principles. Identify what a high performance organization looks like, understand it, and know what the principles are. Step two, assess your current organization and see where they're at. Benchmark. And you benchmark two things. The people side. That's where our web-based assessments and so assess what are our best people and assess the organization. And we have seven critical areas that we look at on that assessment. Well, once we assess and create benchmarks, then we go to step three, which is clarify strategy. Strategies around two things, organizational strategy and business strategy. Mission, vision, values on the organization side, how we treat each other, how we think, how we act, and business right. strategy, how we're going to make a profit, what we're good at, our unique value proposition. Then we move to step four, which is leaders. And we got to build very strong leaders. And we do that through a number of different things, but emotional intelligence, trust, you know, the concepts of leadership, communication, everything else. And then step five is those leaders are responsible for building strong teams, coaching and mentoring and building them. And you don't start with leadership and teams first and try and figure out the rest as right. we go. That's not the process. Number one is identify the principles. What are we trying mm -hmm. to become? We don't want to be what we are anymore. We want to be something different, high performance. We want to move out of this traditional paradigm. So we have to assess where we're at, people and organization, and we got to clarify the strategy. And that comes right. from senior level uh, think tank at the very beginning. And once we're clear about all those things, then we can work with our leaders and work with our teams to change and modify behavior tied directly to execution of the organizational biz business strategy. So many companies, I get calls all the time, I'm sure, Bob, you do too, where companies will call and say, we've got a problem. Matter of fact, I'm going to Baton Rouge next week, specifically from a call that came in that said, we have a problem with a person they're not doing their job effectively. They're not leading effectively. We want you to go in and fix them. And we got about four hours in a couple of weeks at a meeting that we think you would be good to come in and do it. <laughs> yep. I laughed too. I said, yeah. okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I'm the professional come in, slap the guy in the hand. You can check the box for HR purposes and go back home. Like the consultants on office space. Yeah, exactly. What would you say you do here? <laughs> yeah. What do you do? Bob? <laughs> <laughs> you know, is yeah. it that 
or do you truly want to change the the behavior and the model of the organization and the people inside of it? And they said, oh, no, 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 that's what we want. We want that. And I said, well, then it starts with you. I don't need to right. go to Baton Rouge. I need to ask the people sitting around this table. They don't like that, do they? Well, <laughs> they, they know they need to. They're just not. They're so busy. They got so much yeah. going on. It's more about, well, why don't we start with fixing them and we'll get to it. We already know this stuff. See, we've, <laughs> we've already been there. We've got a lot of other things. They don't know what we know. So right. if you can help fix them, <laughs> that would really help us out. And I always reframe it and come back to if it doesn't start with the top, if it doesn't start with senior leaders, no matter how much money, time, or programs, or steps, or whatever you have in place, it is not going to work if it if the entire organization does not comply and agree with this is what we want to become and this is where we're headed. And I, I, I hear from the people that you're on calls with and you work with, they're like, Man, like I wanted you to come fix this person, but now it sounds like a lot of work I have to do. Yep, this is frustrating. I just I don't have time for this. <laughs> yeah, why why do I got to do it? <laughs> yeah, I'm it's not them. I'm not the problem. That's right, they're yeah. the problem. They're the problem. That's why I called you. That's yeah. right. I, I know how to fix yeah. a problem. Actually, I just want you to fix a problem because I'm so busy. <laughs> and well, you know, it's it's one of those those things in that analogy or that that actual example. You know, they're busy running their business. And, uh, you know, just like in public safety, we're busy running the business of public safety. And, uh, it, you know, you, you get so focused on that. It's very hard to, you know, pick your head up and look around, get that 360 view of, of what's going on, where are the landmines, what's, what's coming. If it's something that you haven't looked at or prepared for, it's going to show up. You know, so if you don't address development, and if you don't address what or, or, or exemplify those that mission, vision, and values, if you don't show an example as a leader of having integrity and building trust and doing those things, then it's, they're not going to do it. Your followers are not going to do it. They're not going to know what it looks like because most of us uh, learn by watching. Mm -hmm. It's going on all the time. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so to your point, you know, I agree. You got to go in. You got to do an assessment. Uh, maybe, you know, they need, you know, in public safety, take another look at their mission, vision and value statement, be in line with that. If it needs to change, change it because we're at being asked to do more within the community. So maybe that needs to be changed to touch on Randy's point. You know, is it all of these things? Uh, probably it's got something to do with all of it. But if you don't do something, then your results are going to continue to be the same. So, so, Bob, if you could be in charge for a day and may wave a magic wand and work with, whether it's public or private sector, if you had the complete attention and audience of the fire industry and they asked you, Bob, what would you do to help us mitigate some of these problems moving forward? What would your recommendation be? First thing is, is assessing what's going on. You know, assess what's going on nationally. Where are the pitfalls? You know, what's going on? We do have a lot of good work being done out there. So take a look at that at a local level. And I don't care if you have the best national programs in, in the world. Uh, and I think we've got good national programs. But the problem is always at the local level. And it usually comes down to one or two people. And, you know, within the organization, it always does. You know, every example we've talked about started with someone or a team that did something that wasn't desirable. Uh, and how do, you, how do you address that? And how do you develop them so that they don't 
uh, fall into those pitfalls. Keep them engaged because that's usually it's just what's happening. They're not engaged. They're uh, just kind of ah, my work's done for the day. Uh, X Y Z utility company goes down the road. And now they're they're tipping a few at the bar or something <laughs> instead of going back and maybe you're going to help another crew. It's all about me. So how do you get that? that team concept and you're always after that how do you help the next person and how do you help help them develop so what i would do is start with that assessment of the organization what are they doing right what do they need to stop doing what do they need to start doing and uh, and um, continue doing continue doing yep. that makes them successful you know do that that process you know, and it just takes time. It's not easy. It's not come in and, uh, and fix it. And they have to be willing to sit down and go through the process. And, yeah. and I believe the true leaders in any industry, any industry are doing that. Mm-hmm. I would agree too. Absolutely. I think it probably as a lower level employee, it kind of makes you feel inadequate or like you don't really matter if the higher level people are not listening to what you have to say. And if you're a mm-hmm. higher level person and you're not willing to listen to what they have to say. So I think that mm-hmm. I would say if I was going to go into an organization, the first step for me would be like the communication and the trust, right? I think assessing is very uh, important, but you have to have that level of honesty and openness between the lowest guy on the, on the ladder and the highest so that you could actually really look at the situation for what's going on. Well, are you familiar with, I believe it's called Dunbar's number? No. Dunbar rule, Dunbar number. It's it's a breakover number where where you get to a certain point in the number of employees or number of people in a community. And this goes back to the the, uh, the Amish community. They would actually do this. And I believe if I got the number right, it's about 150. When they get to like 150 in their church or their organization, they branch off and start another one. And the reason they do that, it's not because they disagree with one another. It's because they know or the Dunbar realize that there's only a certain number of people that you can physically be in tune with as a, as a leader. So now for us or public safety or any large corporation, I mean, there's corporations of 50,000 people. So you have to build, build your, your system your, and develop your leaders to do that when you're not there. So like for us, we're spread out in the fire service over the entire district. It might be a city, a county, whatever it is. I mean, uh, San Bernardino County is, gosh, I can't even remember. It's bigger than, than a couple of states that we have. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, they're spread out. But you have to have somebody there that does all those things like Randy was just talking about that, that is in tune with the people that they're supervising they're engaged with them. They feel, I mean, look at, it's, it's right in the, uh, the report, the, the Gallup poll, it's right in there about people want to know certain things and one that they, that somebody cares about them at work. There's a development model for them to where they can succeed and, and have a good quality of life, even at work. I mean, we're no different. So you have to develop that, that supervisor at every level that is going to be with those people. And they have to be out and touch those. So that's, you know, divide and divide. And I don't want to say conquer, but divide and lead, I guess I would be able to say that. Yep. I think it'd be difficult in a situation like that with so many different locations. Also, you have to keep that culture consistent across all those different places. And one station mm-hmm. might decide they want to do something different, but you have to really say no as, as a, as a whole, 
the culture of fire service acts this way. And we really need you guys to be on board with that. Right. And, and that, that's, you know, too, that's a good point, Randy. It made me think of something there. There are, you know, each station has three different platoons. You know, yeah, just use my example of where I worked uh, with Las Vegas, uh, 20 stations. So that's 60 different crews. And now, oh, that, and that's just the people that work for us. Right. And then there's the neighboring departments that we interact with and they see, oh, well, X, Y, Z over here can do this on their job. Why can't I do that? And that's why it all has to go back to that mission, vision and value statement. And that's how it all ties together. You know, we used to have what was called a command training where you would go in and run an incident. You know, once a quarter, you go in and run this incident. So you keep up on your skills. We don't, we don't do anything that with leadership. And in the private sector, I don't know that they do that, that either. They should. The, the organizations that work with 360, our partners, they do that. And they understand that. We set that up for them. So there's that space repetition. And there's always the growth. They're always touching that. How does everything tie together? How does uh, Randy, the fire, firefighter, uh, see himself right. fitting in? to the entire organization and why your role is so critical. Well, I think this conversation has been very insightful, and I think it's also important for us to continue to bring this stuff to the forefront. That's part of what it takes to be an effective leader is to continually challenge the status quo. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Get clear about the mission, the mission, the vision, the values, and what we do, and then have that framework, like you mentioned, the, the steps, because it does help crystallize how do we move from where we are to where we want to be. Right. And so, Bob, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, you're in Vegas, but how, how would we reach out and find you? My website is assuredperformance360.com. Uh, my email address is bob at assuredperformance360. Uh, my phone number is on there as, as well. If uh, we have to travel, we'll travel. Okay. But, uh, we're here to help folks. And I'll link all that in the show notes so they can get a hold of you that way too. Okay, bob, awesome. Thank thanks you, Thanks again. We really appreciate it. We'll be talking to you. Oh, no, thank you. you it's, it's been fun. Thanks for having me join you today. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast and shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.